0: DJ and PK, it's 97-5 and 1280 the zone. Time to talk a little jazz basketball. Derek Bodner, senior rider for the Athletic in Philadelphia, is going to join us momentarily. It's a bad loss in New Orleans. How did the Jazz bounce back? We had Big T throw Bailey on. He brought up the old Jerry Sloan line, you know. Bags packed, ready for some downtime, or ready to go grind out one more game before the all-star break. And Feel a little differently about yourself and about the team because of the result you grind out, and whatever this game is going to be, PK, I would assume it isn't going to be easy.
1: By the Philly game, no, I, I, it's not going. To, Philly's a good team; they have the potential to be a great team. And maybe I don't know enough about them because I don't watch them that much. I don't concentrate as much on the East, but they sort of shove Philly and and the Nets in in your face all the time. So I have watched them a fair amount of time. I think they have the potential to be an elite team. So I'm excited for this game. It's sort of like a a mini big game, if that makes any sense.
0: Let's welcome in Derek Bodner, senior writer for the Athletic Philadelphia, covering the Philadelphia 76ers. Derek, good morning. Good morning. Derek, I'm curious uh, how the people in Philly are feeling about the Sixers and how much it parallels what we're seeing here with the Jazz. Best record in the conference, but you got a bigger market that's more glamorous, and they've got a – they sign a Hall of Famer who helps recruit all-stars, and now you got a super team, and everybody's drilling over them. Uh, the Jazz definitely feel overlooked. Do the Sixers and their fans feel overlooked by what's going on with the Nets and all the hype they're getting, or no?
2: Well, you know, that that's interesting. I would say a lot of Sixers fans are probably still a little bit They're not 100% bought in, I don't think. Um, Mm. I think maybe the Sixers fans might be the ones doing the overlooking. uh, Because it's a team that, uh, you know, during the Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid era, has not advanced beyond the second round of playoffs. Uh, A lot of fans, I think, feel like once they get in the playoffs, some of their deficiencies will show. There's a little bit of a prove-it-to-me-in-the-playoff sort of vibe with a lot of fans with this team, uh, which probably comes with just not having had that kind of success here either in recent or really in a pretty extended period of their history. Uh, so I think there's still a little bit of a wait and see approach to this team. I think everybody has sort of recognized the jump that Joel Embiid has taken and how important that is. But I think a lot of people also feel like they might be a year away before they really contend because there's still a little bit of work on the edges of this roster uh, that I think that needs to be happened before, um, you know, people really buy into them as an NBA Finals contender.
1: Out here in the West, everybody focuses on the Lakers, right? And and probably, too, in, in the country because they're just that big. And when I look at the Sixers, I wonder if they're sort of a, a knockoff version of the Lakers, meaning that they've got two big-time players at the top, and then you hope that the rest of the roster can fill in, and you just go back as recently as the Indiana game, and you got Milton and Corkmaz, guys I had to look up after I looked at the box score, combining for like 45, 46 points, whatever it was, against the Pacers. Do you see sort of some semblance in terms of the two big guys like the Lakers have and then hope that you get contributions from the other guys? Yeah,
2: and yeah, no, I, I think that's entirely fair. Uh, you know, I would sort of throw – Tobias Harris in there as a third player who's maybe a little more reliable, um, make it more of a three, not a true big three, because I don't think Tobias Harris is that good. But certainly I think there is a sense that the, like I said, the pieces around them aren't quite up there yet. Uh, and certainly when you start looking at the bench, I actually think uh, Shake Milton is a pretty good young player. Uh, not a, you know, not a future 20 point per game scor- scorer, but I think he's a legitimate rotation player. And once you get behind him on the bench, there just isn't all that much in terms of reliable, talent. Um, and I think that is a, a, a pretty big concern. The obvious difference between the Lakers and the Sixers is the Lakers have proven it. Uh, LeBron James, the most decorated playoff performer of this era, uh, have proven it in the postseason whereas the Sixers have not. Uh, and I think uh, like I said, that's where a lot of skepticism comes in. I think a lot of people look at it like it's tough to build a, a playoff style offense around a post-up score, even as uniquely talented as Joel Embiid is. And there's just a lack of perimeter shot creation that, I think, I think some people need to you know, see whether or not it can work in the playoffs and uh, there are legitimate concerns. So yeah, I think that's sort of like the blueprint, um, but a, a lower rent version of the blueprint for sure.
0: So in the win Monday, uh, Korkmaz is one of the guys who comes in off the bench and goes nuts, and I'm thinking, how come this guy didn't make an impression on me when I was watching the Jazz-Philly game in Utah, and I went back and looked at the box score and saw 0 for 5 in 21 minutes. Um, when you see some of these guys, how much of these – and he's still a young guy. He's 23. How invested are the Sixers in some of these parts around the edges that you talk about, and it's a case of giving them a year or two to get better, and how much uh, could they be making moves at the deadline and making moves in the offseason and still getting the right guys?
2: Oh, if we know one thing about Daryl Moore, it's that he's going to make moves. <laughs> um, you know, I, look, I, I think it depends on the player you're talking about. I think they're invested in Tyrese Maxey. Uh, the point guard out of Kentucky, they took with the 21st pick in the draft last year or a couple months ago. I think they're invested in Jake Milton, uh, a guy who's under a really team-friendly contract for three more years uh, that they have brought up. He was a, a two-way player, at least second-round pick, who has shown a lot. I think they're invested in him. Corkmans, I think, probably a little less so. you know, He had a good year last year. They drafted him. He came into the league as a shooter, struggled from the perimeter of the first two years, and shot the ball really well last year and entered the rotation and has taken a huge when his jumper is not falling, he just provides them with pretty much nothing else on the floor. Uh, so he has been tough to, I think, find consistent minutes for. Um, so it, it depends on a lot of these people. Like, if the, their bench is a lot of young players. I think they have a lot of players, you from throw Matisse Seibel into that mix as well as a, um, you know, really unique defensive prospect who can impact the game in a multitude of ways, but is a almost complete zero offensively. So they have sort of like these flawed young players who they're invested in, but who aren't really quite ready compete at a playoff level. Uh, Yeah, I think they're going to be aggressive in making moves. I think Daryl Morey has shown that he will trade draft picks, he will trade young players when he has a team that he thinks is close to competing for a title. He did that time and time again in in Houston. Uh, He feels like he can replace those young players and draft picks with smart moves down the line. I think he's going to look at it and say this is an MVP caliber season from Joel V. We don't think this roster around him is good enough, and I think he's going to be aggressive to try to take advantage that.
1: When's Tobias Harris going to be back?
2: Yeah, Doc Rivers was talking about, uh, and then Harris did that with a a knee contusion. Rivers was talking earlier in the, or yesterday after the game, uh, which feels like earlier in the day, because days overlap now. Uh, He was talking about he might try to play again uh, Wednesday night in in, in the game against you guys. I don't know if I would do that, especially with a knee. Like, you've got one more game, and then you've got a seven-day break for the All-Star game. Give Harris off. Let that knee rest. That's what I would do. But it sounds like Doc Rivers is hopeful that he will be back for Wednesday's game. Which
0: we'll see. Derek Bodner joining us. He's senior writer for The Athletic of Philadelphia, covering the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, when you look at Doc Rivers and you know how he's changed his club, his fingerprints on it, where, where do you see the impact?
2: I would say mostly not X's and O's, not anything in that sort. Just night in, night out, consistency. Uh, that was one thing that really plagued this team, the effort level and the focus, especially last year. Uh, previous years was pretty good, but last year was a real struggle in night-to-night consistency. Uh, that is something they have had this year. By and large, you can look through Joel Embiid or you can look through Ben Simmons. They bring it every night. And maybe the box score isn't perfect every night, but effort level and focus is there. And I think that is something that was lacking last year. I think that has been a big reason why they have the, East, the best record in the Eastern Conference. And uh, that is what I think has been his, his biggest impact so far.
1: As far as coming out of the East to get to the NBA Finals, do you see anybody besides either the Nets or Sixers?
2: I mean, the Bucks. I think. You know, I think the Bucks still have a lot of talent. I think Giannis, when he's at the top of his game, could still be the best player in the Eastern Conference. Uh, probably is the best player in the Eastern Conference. And I think that team, you know, they've been playing a lot recently without Drew Holiday, who had that extensive time off with the health and safety protocols. Uh, But when they are at full strength, and I don't think they have the depth that they had in previous years, but when they're at full strength, I think they're still a a very tough team. I think they probably have the best net rating in the Eastern Conference right now. Uh, I think they're right up there with the Sixers in the.
0: So there is, uh, on this side of the country, there are plenty of jazz fans who are thinking, hey, hold on to this one seed and let the Lakers and Clippers meet in the second round. No reason to have to draw those guys in back-to-back rounds. That sounds like a humongous task. One of them will be tough enough. Uh, is that how the Sixers are looking at the top spot in the East, or no?
2: Yeah, no, I think they certainly are. Uh, and I think there is a, a big benefit to not having to go through two of Milwaukee and Brooklyn to get there. The concern, though, is that in order to do that, you're going to have to play your own beat. Especially, I mean, this second half of the season, I think they play, uh, you know, something like 36 games in 66 days or something like that. It's a very condensed schedule. And you've got a big man in Embiid who, first of all, has just never played night, every game, night in and night out. And he's also also got, you know, he's got an ankle injury. He's got a lower back injury. He's had his share of knee injuries throughout the course of his career. I think there is concern that in order to challenge for that one seed, especially with the way Brooklyn's playing, I think they've won, what, nine out of 10 now, something like that with the way I think Milwaukee is going to play in the second half, you're going to need Joel Embiid to play 34 out of 36, or all, maybe all 36 in order to have a chance, and that might come at the expense of him being at the top of his game for the playoffs. So I think it's a tough balancing act for the Sixers. You know, I think Joel Embiid wants to come in and play night in and night out, in part because I think he wants a number one seed, but in part because I think he wants to prove that he is a every-game kind of player. Uh, but I do think there is some risk to doing that, so we'll be really interesting to see how they balance that out because it is a little bit at odds with each other those two goals.
1: Rudy Gobert's got a lot of run for a defensive player of the year and won it twice and recognizes one of the better ones if not the best one. You think Embiid will view this as somewhat of a big game in a slew of games? Oh he always he always does.
2: Um, he, he just we just played the other night last night against Miles Turner uh, and he, he said it right out in his post-game press conference, that like that is a defensive player of the year candidate, and I wanted to take it to him. And Joel Embiid has always had success against Miles Turner and the six Or the Pacers spent all night double-teaming him, and he he passed well out of that, and he, he really controlled the game. But there is no doubt in my mind he will look at, at this matchup with Gobert uh, as a chance to prove um, you know his status in the league. He takes those big man matchups personally. So I was a little surprised he missed the previous game against these two teams. But yeah, I think uh, I think he will be. Uh, gunning for Gobert and, and really revel in the matchup for sure.
0: As much as I've asked you about seeding and playoff and all that, uh, when you step back and look at the entire league, if the Lakers are healthy, is everybody chasing the defending champs?
2: Yeah, I think I think they're the best team in the league. Um, you know, I, it's certainly the one that when you get to the playoffs and you ask me which one do I have the most confidence in, uh, I mean they've just they've accomplished so much and Le- LeBron's accomplished so much. And quite frankly, that two man tandem when LeBron and Anthony Davis is so perfectly built to play off of each other's strength that I think they make the most sense. Uh, and, you know, I say that as a person covering the team with the best record in the East, talking to you guys with the best record in the NBA. Uh, when the playoffs come around, it's still, to me, a LeBron league. And, yeah, I, I think if they're playing at their best, it's going to be tough for, tough for anyone.
0: Derek, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for hopping on with us and uh, giving us a look ahead to the Sixers and the Jazz.
2: Yep,
0: my pleasure. Derek Bodner, senior writer for the Athletic Philadelphia, covering the Philadelphia 76ers. So really, PK, it's fun to make fun of Shaq because he frustrated everybody by winning so many titles. And he's on TV, and he didn't do it very smoothly, but what he's saying is what everybody's saying. What? Who measures up to LeBron? I mean, he called out Donovan Mitchell Post game, it's, it's awkward timing. It was awkward the way he did it. It wasn't a question, it was a statement. It was highly unusual. But I think what Shaq is thinking is, like, LeBron's the guy and the Lakers are the favorite, and how can you or anyone take them down? I mean, someone could take them down, and they may not be healthy. And if they're not healthy, then that changes everything. But we've had multiple people on from around the country, and multiple people are saying the Lakers are the favorite. So whatever doubt there is of the Jazz, there's also a lot of doubting of the Clippers and the Nets and the Sixers and whoever else, the Bucks, whoever else you want to throw in there.
1: Yeah, but Shaq didn't do that. He no, just went after, he went after our him. Donovan Mitchell, yep. our guy, Yep, the one who I love. And that ain't right! I mean, it's two things. It's fun to make fun of Shaq, and it's fun to stay at the YMCA. I mean, those <laughs> are just two givens in mathematical equations. And when I took algebra and geometry, that's the only answer I could ever get correct was the one that was given. DJ and
0: PK, when we come back, everything you missed in this show. Guy Holiday, Thurl Bailey. We just had Derek Bodner on to talk Sixers. We'll get you all up to speed with the Jazz losing to the Pelicans last night. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. <laughs> Number one. in the Zone Sports
1: Network. Now Zion to the rack. Lay it in good over Niang and Gobert. Got in front of Gobert and able to beat him to the glass on the layup. Zion taking it right at Derek Favors. Lay in good with a left hand. The misses for Utah, turning into points for the Pelicans. Shot fake back to Conley in the corner. Another double pump throws up an air ball. That's excellent. Rebound Zion. That is excellent. To Zoe, up the floor, Josh That is excellent. The two-hand flush.
0: That is excellent, PK.
1: Oh, shut up. That's excellently (laughs) awful. That bugged me.
0: The jazz lose to the Pelicans, 129, 124. After winning 20 out of 21, they're now three and three in their last six as they head into Philly and then the All-Star break. Entirely too many points, PK, points in transition, and even in the set offense. shots inside of five feet, right at the rim. Not good. a 40-point third quarter. A 70-point second half for the Pelicans. 70-point halves are just unacceptable. doesn't matter who you're playing, when you're playing, where you're playing. You can't be giving up 70 points and a half and think you're going to win the game.
1: Uh, unless you score more points than the other guy. Thanks, BK. I mean, that's we wouldn't be talking nearly about as much if Donovan Mitchell had had a typical shooting night. If Joe Angles hadn't posted a goose egg. I mean, with all that said, and I get your point, and I agree with you, but they still had the ball
0: and Donovan with chance to take it. the lead. Yeah, Donovan driving at the hoop, not a great angle for that. I think he's a little torn about whether to lay it off the glass or just try to flip it straight in. And Rudy had a tip too to try and you know put that thing in. So yes, the opportunities are there. They still would not need stops afterwards. Blah blah blah. But down seventeen, I'm not sure anybody thought they were going to have the ball down oh, one with a chance. Not at to all. Take the There's lead. something
1: to be said for that. Uh, they didn't get job done, so that's ultimately all that matters. Uh, but there's something to be said for the rally. There's something to be said for you didn't play nearly. I, I think I would give them a C plus, maybe, as far as their performance and what their capability is. And you still had an opportunity. You were th- within uh, an inch or two of having that shot fall in or the tip-in fall in. You don't know that you would have got to stop at the end, but certainly all the pressure would have been on New Orleans, and New Orleans was front-running uh, the whole game. And they are hooping and hollering. That's what bugged me. Uh, and they almost gagged. That would have been a colossal gag. That would have been fun to see. That would have been excellent. Excellent. That excellent. Is, that is excellent. <laughs> that is excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's not a total loss cause here. But overall, that loss did bug me because uh, New Orleans isn't the caliber of team. They're a they're front-running team because they don't have uh, – well, Steven Adams has had some success on a winning team, and Reddick has been around the league so many t- years. Uh, he, he's played with some decent teams, uh, Clippers and Philly, I think. I'd have to go and look at all the teams he's played with. But the rest of them are a bunch of young guys who don't really have any pedigree of success in the NBA. And so once they got it going, you could see their confidence build. And the Jows allowed that, to your point. With those transition buckets, it just seems like they came in waves, one after another mm-hmm. of just a bunch of layups. And you know, Alonzo Ball can't really—he's not a pure shooter by any stretch, but he certainly has athletic ability. Yep. And if you get him going, uh, he can use that athletic ability to get to the basket. So uh, you saw that on display. I'm not watching a lot of Pelicans games but I would imagine that was one of the best games he's had in the what uh year plus that he's been with the team. So good on them. And the great thing about the NBA is sit tight because you've got another game coming. That's what sets up tomorrow night because then they don't have another game coming for 9 days. Uh and then maybe you can we can spin that tomorrow so I'll just hold off. I won't I won't say what I was going to say cuz like the NBA, we've got another show tomorrow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they just keep coming. <laughs> for Lonzo Ball, 23 points, that is his second highest scoring total of the year. And I get the Zion's layups because they know what he wants to do, and he got to the spot on the floor he wanted to get to. He got the shot he wanted, and he wants layups and dunks, and he got them. But he had 26 points. That's, and I know you can do better, and I'm sure that Quinn want to hold him to 20, and that would be great. But, man, Lonzo's 23 really hated me. He had a 27-point game against Milwaukee, and they won it. (laughs) Don't let Lonzo Ball have a big game. You're always looking for one more big-time scorer. Most teams are looking for that. You just can't let the Pelicans get that kind of game out of Lonzo Ball. He's not that good a shooter. All right, we've uh, we've got some new news for those of you arriving late here in the show. New news, PK, not old news. New news, which is the essence of news. The football schedule is out for the Utes. One Thursday, two Fridays, nine Saturday games. Six homes, six road. Pac-12 releases the schedule. And the Utes have the early bye week again. October 2nd, they got the bye, and then they'll have, uh, after the Washington State game, eight conference games after that.
1: Yeah, what they'll say on that bye is it comes at the perfect time because it allows you extra time to prepare for, prepare for USC they're likely, uh, well, the next two teams, actually, the next two games, uh, SC and ASU, likely to be the, top the stiffest yeah. challengers to winning the division. So you got to like that you have extra time to pair, prepare for the Trojans. That's for sure. Uh, and no reason why they don't go into the conference schedule 3-0 and again. I mean, Weber State... Uh, BYU-San Diego State now uh, BYU and San Diego State are away although obviously it doesn't mean much for the road game, BYU-Utah uh, San Diego State uh, It's more were they, a neutral I, side they're where be, they, they, Would it go to Carson? Is that where yeah, they're going to play? Yeah, they've got to go to Carson
0: year? They've torn the old stadium down and they're just actually the uh, yeah, San Diego State just on their official Twitter account had pictures of the first foundations going up That's for good. the new stadium
1: Yeah, so. good for them won't be on campus. I don't understand why they can't play at the baseball stadium, but uh, they're not going to. They're going all the way up in Carson. So that's not really a road game because San Diego State isn't playing home games for two years, uh, basically. Is it two? Yeah. And uh, So it'll be, it'll be done in 2022? Uh, yep. There should know. be. Yeah, so. That's the plan. So that's a nice road game, which really isn't a road game. No. <laughs> You're going two hours away, basically. That's an interesting situation. You
0: will never actually be in San Diego. You would assume that they're going to fly into either uh, Orange County or LAX. I guess you could fly into Long Beach. So uh, there's no reason to fly into San Diego and then bust the two hours. Not at all.
1: You're not even going to touch the county, let alone the city. Nope. You're going to get nowhere near that. No point. I wouldn't expect San Diego State, just a funky schedule for them to be – uh that good under those circumstances so you can see that the Utes again for the well they did they didn't have a non-conference this year so for the 10th year out of 11 since they've been in the conference of being 3 and 0 i suppose they could lose to U- BYU but we'll see about that when we get there uh so uh there you go on that it's a nice schedule and hopefully all 12 games are played right on schedule that's the number 1 thing i want
0: the back-to-backs, the only back-to-back road games are the BYU-San Diego State, which is, you know, one's a bus trip and the other is really a neutral field. And then in November, they're at Stanford on a Friday in Arizona. And you always talk about the second road game can be tough. Um, it's Arizona, so, I mean, it, it is Game 10, so the new staff maybe has settled in a little bit, but, man, Arizona looked pretty bad last year. Well, you so.
1: expect Utah to beat Arizona yep. you know, for the next couple yep. of years at least. you got to give the new guys some opportunity. The program really, really hit rock bottom. It's hit rock bottom if you want a comparison to the level that Utah basketball hit rock bottom when Larry took over back in uh 20 what was it 2011 2012 was that yeah. the first season yeah and it just have some frame of reference of where that program's at i mean mm-hmm. Fisher might be the incarnate of uh, Bill Belichick and he has experience on his staff but it's going to take a bit so you would suspect that they would be able to win that game for sure i, I like the way the schedule's set up and i like the Sun Devils schedule too man they got a chance to be the best team in Utah because they're playing BYU Utah and Southern Utah Weep! State championship. (laughs) Forget the Territorial Cup.
0: You want the beehive boot.
1: Well, that would be nice, but the Territorial Cup does matter a little bit more, I have to say.
0: Utes wrap up with two home games, Oregon and then Colorado on the day after Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. That's the other Friday game, the Stanford game on the road before Arizona. Both the Fridays are in November.
1: I wish they would play that game the Friday after Thanksgiving every year.
0: Instead of the Pac-12 rotating some games into Friday and some games out of Friday,
1: let's stick Colorado, Utah there. Try to try to establish some kind of tradition.
0: That'd be good.
1: Yeah, you know, it'll it'll never be to the level, at least not in our lifetime. I don't think, that it is for BYU. Uh, but try to try to do something there. Like we know we're going to play these guys Friday afternoon. I'm just trying to think of something to give it some kind of oomph rather than just another game. But I guess to a degree it'll always be another game uh, unless both teams are vying, then the winner gets the South.
0: Well, that's what it takes. I mean, Utah and BYU, for years they played and there was something at stake. You could win something or you could take something away from the other guy. And one of those games after another of those games after another of those games over the decades, that really built up. But Utah and Colorado aren't playing to take something away from the other guy very often. Never. Well, didn't the Utes have to win one year to, or did they have to win both of them? Did they ever they have the had to beat Colorado
1: and then have the refs job the devils up in home <laughs> that night? Right. That's what had to happen.
0: But nobody has taken anything away. The one time Colorado had to beat Utah, they did no one's really taken something away
1: no i want something both at stake
0: yes, if you're going to have that, that be game best.
1: be the last game which they're intent on doing because everybody else Bills is playing wants it, their right. rival that week i still think they ought to throw BYU in there and just stick colorado just flip-flop them uh, and put the BYU game on the friday cuz then you'd have the extra day if you went to the conference uh final but that's never going to happen so I think we'd rather talk about BYU playing on Sundays or getting rid of the honor code. I mean, it's just a waste of time. It's not going to happen, so why even bother?
0: Washington and Cal are the two teams that the Utes missed this year.
1: Yeah, whatever on that. It's it's you can't really predict if is the, are those good teams to miss. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't say either way. It, it it's just that that's the classic. It is what it is. And just roll with it. All
0: right, there's the 2021 Utah football schedule. Opening with Weber State on Thursday, September 2nd. So they'll have a couple extra days to get ready for BYU. All right, other stuff we talked about. We talked football with Guy Holiday, now the former University of Utah wide receivers coach. He came on, took the high road. Thanked Kyle. Said he might take a year off from coaching, so you can speculate about whether the U really took care of him there. And uh, he said he's been coaching 27 straight years without a break at the D1 level. I think he had a couple of jobs at smaller schools before that. He's been coaching for 30 years. So said that they wanted uh, said that the you know just that you've taken us as far as you can go and we got to look at something else to win a championship was basically his take on why this happened. Uh, if there's more details than that, he didn't want to go into it and share it. That's what he shared with us.
1: said he passed up on two opportunities to go to the NFL.
0: Yeah, and a school back east as well. So.
1: Where he's from. He's from the Baltimore area, uh, which is obviously a high metropolitan area with Philly to the north and D.C. to the south. I had some... Uh, family of extended family that actually had season that have season tickets to the Eagles and the Ravens, to give you an idea of uh, how close those areas are. It's a lot
0: of money into the NFL.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> what what happened is is they met at St. Joe's, which is in Philly, mm-hmm. and she grew up on the Jersey side of Philly and is a South Jersey's a longtime Eagles fan. He grew up. A little further south, and uh, farther south, and was a Ravens fan, so they kept them both. Well, there you go. Yeah,
0: a lot of football, but you know, probably sell the games you don't want. Probably not a big deal there.
1: I would think so today, especially with yeah. the uh, advent of all the secondary market stuff. Yeah, but that that's uh, give you an area, of, an idea of where guy was from, and he didn't tell us what teams. But I certainly wish him the best because he's an upstanding, dude, and. Always enjoy listening to him talk, and it's tough, man. When you called me or texted me on Sunday, which the first I heard about it um, because of Guy's son putting out the tweets, um, and then I went to work to try to confirm it, and within the hour I got multiple responses back. Yep, he's gone. This is a tough, tough business. And coaches, the coaching – circles are pretty small yeah and so you could go to any number of schools or any number that don't even have to be at utah to find out uh if they uh, knew about it and they had found out about it and it is a tough business and and they talk about his health too and i think he he must have tested positive uh if i cor- listened correctly and he has some health issues there. He didn't that's mention f- multiple positive tests. Yeah. So, and I don't think he's quite 60. I want to say he's probably about 57, 58. Uh, so that's something to be concerned about. Seemed like he was worn down.
0: Yes. Well, I would think the last few days have been pretty emotional. I mean, he did tell us he closed on a house in January. And obviously, if he had any idea what was about to happen, he wouldn't have done that. Um, but he made it clear he speaks for himself, and his son was clearly angry on Twitter.
1: That's got to be some bad timing, considering when he left BYU and made a transition up to Utah, he had just closed on the first house he bought here. Yeah, in that well, I think too. when
0: PK gets a text from somebody in yeah. the world of coaching that says, Coaching's a tough business. Yes. You... That encompasses a hundred or a thousand different <laughs> things. Just in terms of and the, real estate's one of them. The timing of. Yeah, because they're buying and selling homes. And it's based on what's happening in that market oh, at yeah. time and it's crazy. Sometimes they catch a break, but sometimes they take a big hit and yeah. Most of us are in lines of work, we don't have to worry about that, but that's again one of the many reasons that's a tough business. Uh, other college football notes for everyone craving a return to uh, normalcy. Is it normalcy or normalcy? Normalcy? Whatever.
1: I always went with normalcy myself, but it's I think it's that's like probably an either either type thing.
0: Alabama moving ahead with plans to host full capacity college football games at Bryant Denny Stadium this coming season. The A D Greg Byrne announced that yesterday. He tweeted out a short statement after news that the school would be returning to in-person instruction without restrictions on classroom capacity in the fall. Alabama had capacity of 20% last fall due to COVID-19. And I got to figure that by the time we get to next fall, they must be looking at how many people in Alabama are going to be vaccinated and where they think we're going to stand. And I suppose they announced plans if, you know, things change for whatever reason. They've and fall back on the plans of the twenty percent reduced capacity or whatever. But right now they're moving ahead. So if you're looking looking for something there, there's there's somebody thinking, hey, the stands could be full. I know the NFL commissioner was a little more pessimistic about that six weeks ago or whenever it was, a month ago maybe, um, sometime around the Super Bowl. But you know we'll see, see where it goes with vaccinations and uh, we'll have a better idea in the summer. Predicting what's going to happen next in our first pandemic has proven to be a difficult gig.
1: And if you're not in your seat the entire 60 minutes of the game in Alabama, you suck as a fan, and we will take away your seats.
0: <laughs> None of this leaving early because we're up by 50 over a team you knew we were going to beat in the first place.
1: <laughs> That's when you know you got it all going on, when you could just call out the fans like that. <laughs>
0: Right. You listen to most coaches' press conference. They either don't mention the fans or they uh, praise uh, them big time.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And then there's Nick.
1: I <laughs> <laughs> no. He can do whatever you know, he wants.
0: Sometimes, sometimes you'll see coaches go after fans, and it's really kind of circle the wagon's time, and the coach is up against it. And, you know, it's like, okay, this season is going to be it. A couple more losses, and it's all done. And so then sometimes you'll see them lose their temper. Wasn't there a Cubs manager a long time ago who went off on Cubs fans? Oh, Lee Ilya. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Something about, uh, I, I un- know the first name was Lee Unemployed, just name. drinking Lee, beer. Lee yeah. Ilya.
1: And, and it was broadcast throughout the uh, concourses, so the fans were listening to it as they <laughs> or leave huh. in the stadium. <laughs> uh, it's one of the things like they have at the jazz here. Yeah, where the post game interview goes out over yeah, the yeah, PA yeah, system. Yeah, classic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh. you can you can uh you can go on and Google it.
0: Google that and find that on YouTube. Yeah, just make sure
1: that you have it a little low. There's a bunch of swear words on there.
0: (laughs) Not safe Uh, for work, people.
1: uh, Yeah. now that you're working from home so that's okay. He's just going after his own fan base about, because they played exclusively day games at that point and how, you know, they're just a bunch of unemployed you-know-what. It's it's a classic rant.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, DJ PK, that's what we've been talking about all morning long. Your feedback's coming up next.
1: And it's all over almost here Don't go nowhere The Big Show Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson
0: Chris Mannix Sports Illustrated. I understand Jazz fans have been a bit grumpy with you today.
1: A little bit. I suggested that Tom Thibodeau had a stranglehold on Coach of the Year honors and I got a series of tweets and memes and pictures featuring Quinn Snyder. So I had an earful there. Of course, and I've said this for years on this show, I think Quinn Snyder is an excellent coach. I also thought the Jazz were going to be pretty good coming into this season.
2: Not lead the West with a ridiculous record good, but I thought they'd be a top four team. Whereas the Knicks, I thought
1: they'd be terrible. And everybody thought they'd Be terrible. Like anything else, your take on awards are a matter of perspective. Catch the big show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O Tires, the team you trust on 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network.
0: All right, PK, the feedback, man, there's some stuff here you really like and some stuff I don't like. I get lectured and you get praised. What kind of feedback is this?
1: Oh, man, let's (laughs) ask Scotty and Hans if we can continue for another (laughs) half hour. All right, Jill
0: sends this in. Oh, PK! I really dislike Van Gundy.
1: Solidarity!
0: Exclamation point!
1: There's <laughs> <laughs> some reason about that guy that just that just bugs me. I don't know what it is, man. I'm not sure, but I guess I, it just it bothered me to see this team that can't compete on an, a 72 game basis with the Jazz just kind of hooting and hollering and almost laughing at them. And they really weren't. I get it. But it's still, like, it got under my skin. I, t- I took it too personal.
0: Greg, I love the Valiant comeback. I'm disappointed in the lack of interior defense and the terrible execution of whatever that last possession was supposed to be. And Greg, he put that very well. They didn't need to take a three, so you take a contested three that isn't a three. It's actually a two because you're inside the line. That wasn't good. Either take a three, which I think was going to be difficult because the Pelicans were really ready to come. They came out ready to defend the three-point line. So go to the two and foul and extend the game. Man. But they didn't go to the hoop. So. Easy to
1: say right now, but I yeah. can't disagree with any of it.
0: Uh, <laughs> what else we got? Oh, uh, ScorbDaddyo54. 3-1, and one, that's an okay trip, but a 2-2 two and two trip doesn't cut it. Not the way they were playing, and now it could possibly be 1-3? and three? Yeah. maybe it's the right time, though. If you're going to have a drop-off before the All-Star break, you get a chance to regroup. If they're a championship-caliber team, and I hope they are, I'm not expecting such an average stretch the rest of the way.
1: Okay, yeah, if you regroup and there's plenty of time to regroup, this won't mean much of anything. I agree with that. It's just that you get a little nervous because were they just playing a little bit over their head? So now if we, what's that, regress to the mean or average? I never understood any of that stuff. Once you get numbers, I'm out the door. And if that's the case, then that means that there's going to be a prolonged slump, if you want to call it that, and none of us want to see that. You know, we want to see them continue to to fly high. Uh,
0: Patrick, Jerry Sloan, old school here. They need to play tougher defense. If the other team's going to go inside, they need to hit the floor a little more often. You got six fouls, (laughs) use them! Jazz are trying not to send guys to the free throw line these days, so it's changed. Uh, And then this is one I know you're going to like, PK. Uh, Valiant late effort, but the Jazz fall short. You disappointed yet? Sherry Snow. Yet, you make it sound like you folks want to be disappointed. Like winning every game is the only acceptable goal. Do better, David. <laughs> <laughs> feel, feel like I'm back in the third grade. <laughs> you that? got told. Is that your mother? <laughs> you got too wrong on this 10-question multiplication quiz.
1: Do uh, better. Still 80%, but... Uh... <laughs> Do better. Oh, man, yeah, that's... Uh... We want him to win, uh, that's for sure. But uh, you
0: just the, explained that on the air to somebody yesterday. Uh, oh, I think it was David Aldridge. Right,
1: right. Yeah,
0: when I was in newspaper, and who cares who wins and loses? Now that I'm in the broadcast looking at it ratings,
1: yeah. hey, more yeah. people listen when they win. I've had a complete and total transformation there.
0: We had, we had a massive numbers Saturday night for Talking Sports. Well, the Jazz one the Cougars won, Everybody the did. Utes beat USC, Weber State football and basketball won. <laughs> of course we had great ratings. People don't turn on the highlights after their team loses, but after they win, it's like, I want to see that again. What did they say after that?
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. I listen to every second of the postgame show when the Devils beat uh, the U of A 70-7. Yeah. Great ratings. Yeah, I'm glad all the teams won. <laughs> That's the way it works. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna, we, the
0: rundown's already done. You know, we're, we're showing three minutes of jazz highlights. If, if they win by 20 or they lose by five to the Pelicans, you get your three minutes. So but that just...
1: lady's invested, so yep. that's fine. Absolutely.
0: All right, we're out of time. Scotty and Hands are coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow.